Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Your welcome is brought to you for free today by our friends at Bet Online. Get in the mix at betonline.ag and use the promo code PODCAST1 for a 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts and the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. He did it! Tony Ferguson went and made 155 pounds. In the window that the commission would have regulated, which only makes it that much cooler. Look, this is baffling. And there's very few times in life you get to even use that word. It is so confusing. Was this the right thing to do? Was this the wrong thing to do? And I put that in correlation to the fact that he's got to do it again in two weeks. This is weird. Or is this super cool? I mean, it's one of these things where you're stuck not being able to identify exactly why this happened. This speaks to an internal code about Tony. This has nothing to do about money. This has nothing to do with fame or competition, or fans, or media. This is an internal reflection into Tony Ferguson. You're either a good guy or you aren't. You're either a man of your word or you are not. I've talked to Tony privately a couple of times about his success in this sport. And his answer is so fast and so simple. It's not deep and complex and sophisticated. Mental toughness. West Coast mental toughness. I've asked him multiple times, trying to gain some insight, you know, maybe something I could use as an athlete, maybe something I could pass on to somebody as a coach. That's all I get out of him, mental toughness. This was mental toughness. This had nothing to do with anything else. Look, if you're solid, you're just a solid guy. You do things for credit or you do things for attention. That's okay too, but that's a little bit different than what we saw here. This was about none of those things. This was about a guy who said he was going to do something. He did his part. You control what you can control. And those are nice words, but as human beings, we generally don't do that. We let something else affect us. Something from the outside affects what we do and how we do it. Tony Ferguson controlled what he could control. Said he was going to make weight and he made weight. I met a guy one time, and he was a big money guy, and he gave a lot of money away. And I said, you know, that sure is a cool thing to do. And he corrected me. He said, no. He said, a lot of people say that. And I appreciate it. He said, but I actually do it for me. I actually do it selfishly. It makes me feel good. I don't actually give that money away to help someone else. It makes me feel good. 
okay, that's a very interesting concept. But I tie that in because you're talking about an internal code. A guy's either solid or he's not. Tony Ferguson is solid. I'll tell you, in these weird times where we're not getting a lot of new content, anytime you turn on, it could, it could be a digital device, it could be your television set, you're watching something that already happened. Well, in that vein, Chris Lieben versus Anderson Silva, which happened many years ago, 2007, was just put out. So I saw that fight. I trained with Chris Lieben for that fight. It was Anderson Silva's debut. And we didn't know much about Anderson Silva other than what we read online. Like, he was doing fights in Japan and whatnot that you couldn't even get on TV here. But then you'd, you'd check Sherdog the next day, and he won in 11 seconds. And then he fights again, and Anderson Silva beats someone in 21 seconds. And it kept being these fights. He did like four or five of these that were just remarkably short and fast fights. He ended up having a fight. I'm talking about Anderson. He ended up having a fight in some small off-brand show, but he took on Jeremy Horn. And Jeremy Horn, who fought largely on the underground circuit, was also an absolute legend on that circuit. Jeremy Horn would have a fight on Friday night, drive two states all through the night with no sleep, and go have a fight on Saturday. He did this all the time. He put like 50 wins in a row together. Something crazy. So he and Anderson go have a great fight, but Anderson beats him. So Anderson's got this big name and big buzz, but he's making his debut. He's kind of making his television debut, let alone... His promotional debut. So I remember Matt Lindland, who was managing Chris Lieben. I remember Matt telling me, we told Joe Silva, we will fight anybody else. Just don't give us this, this guy. And I remember Matt told me that being really surprised because Matt was such a believer in Chris Lieben. Matt was a believer in all those guys, but Matt was moreover a believer in competition. You compete with anybody, period. If you have something that you can prove, great. But if you have something to learn, that's fine too. I remember when Matt told me, what am I missing on this guy? This guy's just a guy that had a few fights online. I hadn't seen him either. So they go to the fight. Anderson controls the fight. So after they aired this, some media member went and interviewed Chris Lieben. All these years later, went and interviewed Chris Lieben about that fight. And Lieben was so funny. He said, uh, yeah, the first time he knocked me down, I remember telling myself, just stay down. Because if you get up, nothing good is going to happen. But I wanted to give Anderson a clean win. So I got back up and let him finish me. <laughs> and you might think that sounds like revisionist history. Knowing Chris Lieben the way I know Chris Lieben, that's exactly what happened. And he said that he was at dinner after the fight. He was at dinner with his uh, stepmom. And he made a comment to her and he said, man, I, I can't believe that fight happened tonight. can't believe it went that way. And she looked up and she simply said, that fight was yesterday. So he, he was a little out of it. But one thing about Chris's career that was so interesting, if you go back and look at it, you will find this fascinating just on paper. If you just go look at his fights on paper, it'll blow you away. Chris Lieben was such a striker. He had a, a head made out of concrete. You just simply couldn't hurt him, which is why it was so remarkable when Anderson did. It was like it was this stunning thing, and Anderson, boom, busts on the scene. And just like we've been reading about Anderson, only online, he putting everybody away in a very short amount of time. Okay, well, now he's on TV, and he just did it again against a guy that doesn't get put away. But about Lieben being a great striker, he was actually the wrestler killer. If you go and look at the wins he had, even on the underground circuit, Boyd Ballard, 
Otto Wilson come to mind. If you were a really good wrestler, you did not want to fight Chris Lieben. Aaron Simpson name comes to mind. Lieben just had a way of staying on his feet, of staying away just enough. Boom, boom, boom. He was the last guy that any wrestler would ever want to face, even though his greatest skills were in the stand-up. If you go look, the guys he had problems with were fellow stand-up guys. I don't know why. Very interesting. But if you're a wrestler, stay away from Chris Lieben. Michael Bisping, one of the toughest guys to ever step foot in the cage, one of the toughest men alive right now, does not live life with regret. And he came out on his show and he said that he uh, had regret for taking the Kelvin Gatslam fight. Now, I believe him. I didn't know why the hell he took that fight, when he took that fight. But let me just remind you guys of what he's referring to. Okay, he had a mega fight against George St. Pierre for the world championship. Bisping's world championship. Bisping put it on the line. Bisping doesn't have the easiest time making 185 pounds, which is very relevant to the story because the Gatslam fight was three weeks after he lost the belt. So now you're talking about not only the physical druthers of being in there with George St. Pierre, roughly 15 minutes, you also have the emotional letdown of no longer being the champion of the world. So to even be asked to take a fight on three weeks' notice, I mean, I would suspect before they made that phone call to Michael, they probably thought, yeah, we're going to get a no, but let's let, let's get the no, and then we can move on. Hey, I'll call him right now. You, you guys, come up with two more names. Bispink says yes. I mean, you wouldn't even ask a guy who went through what he went through three weeks later to fly to a different country, by the way. That fight was in a different country. I want to say Japan. That's off the top of my head. Definitely in a different country. I remember that much. And then go take on a hammer, a younger, up-and-coming, ultimate fighter winning Kelvin Gatslam. You just want to do that. Now, a little tiny bit of a backstory there is Kelvin and Bisping had worked out together at some point. The thing I would suspect that Bisping probably remember that workout and say, oh, yeah, I'll be fine. I'll go, I'll, I'll go take on that fight. The one problem there is what I just laid out. He's on a letdown. Physically, he's diminished. That fight took a lot out of him. Emotionally, he's diminished. And Kelvin Gaslam doesn't go very hard in practice. That's one of the tricks he just doesn't. Kelvin Gaslam will go as hard as you want to go, but he'll always let you make the choice, which is why he's so damn deceptive. At any rate, that's a little bit of a sidebar, but it, but it's something that I was armed with. I had trained with Kelvin. I had competed with Michael. And I remember when he took that fight, knowing what he was going through. I've had those highs and those lows. I just understood it. I just understood it. Now he's got to make weight again while going to be jet-lagged in a foreign country. Oh, and by the way, it's a main event. It could go 25 minutes. It was He bit off just too much more than he could chew. It was a, a sign of his toughness, his mental toughness, his competitiveness. There all sorts of praise you could give Bisping. But in hindsight is not where you can see how this fight ends. You could see how this fight ends as soon as they said this fight was going to happen three weeks after he got in the cage with George St. Pierre. Okay. So he also talked about that St. Pierre fight. He said, look, St. Pierre knew I was blind in one eye, and he targeted that side. And it left me with two questions, two just personal internal questions. First off, did George know that? I would, I would just be curious. Can we confirm that George knew that? I, I didn't know it. Um, you know, that didn't come out till later. Post-career, Michael's been very open to talk about it. And 
even done some funny stuff with the eye and showed everybody. But what I'm saying is, did George know that? And secondly, if he did, would George be ethically wrong to go after that? And this is very heavy stuff. This is a very heavy topic, right? Eyes are amongst the most important thing. In my belief, the, because one thing that can't be fixed, they just science wise, they just don't have a way to fix eyes yet to replace eyes, right? Of all, all your organs. So I bring that up because you're talking about something very sensitive and I'm still left even the coldness of no. Now, I don't know how you would target an eye that was, I, I mean, I just personally don't have the skills to, I have a hard enough time finding a guy's head. Usually I would go to the body just because it was an easier target. So to find an eye, I, I don't have that skill. But if I did, would I use that? And I would think that when you're in a competition in front of the world where one man is trying to hurt you under the unified rules and you are trying to damage him under the unified rules, yeah, yeah, I, I think a guy would. I, I, and I think if the roles were reversed and we just asked Michael, hey, Michael, if George had an ailment and you knew about it, would have you attacked it, yes or no? And I think Michael would probably smile and say, yes. There's enough uncertainty to go around right now. NetSuite reduces it by giving you visibility and control with so many critical decisions to make. You need the right numbers and you need them right now. NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. With NetSuite, we give you financials, cash flow, payroll, inventory, and more all in one place. So you have clear visibility and total control of your business. NetSuite customers have the flexibility to work from anywhere with immediate clarity on critical information right at their fingertips. No more guessing. No more waiting. Make smarter decisions with confidence because you're going to have crystal clear visibility of your numbers. Join over 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to stay in control. Receive your free guide, Managing Business Uncertainty, and schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash chael. Don't wait to get your free guide and schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com slash chael. netsuite.com slash chael. Dominic Reyes did an interview on MMA Junkie. And he said that John Jones will talk tough on Twitter. He'll talk tough in front of anyone that'll listen to him. But when he's confronted with a contract, he will not sign it. He used the word, he is hesitant. I actually like that he used that word. He said, UFC's on board. And he said, I am on board. John Jones is hesitant. Well, first off, let me start at the very beginning with my first thought. Every time Dominic Reyes speaks, every time. I'm interested. Dominic Reyes, I'm not sure, even has the ability within him to not be a real guy who gives you some kind of behind-the-scenes information that you believe to be sincere, true, and accurate. And it's also interesting, which pisses me off about Dominic Reyes because he almost never talks. This guy is batting 100% when he does an interview, and you got to wait a month between interviews. And I don't know why. I don't know if people aren't calling him. I don't know if he doesn't answer his phone. I don't realize maybe he's got an anxiety and likes it and doesn't do it. Maybe he doesn't know how good he is. 
Dominic Reyes is made to be interviewed, particularly on camera. The dude's handsome. The dude's young. The dude speaks well. Oh, and by the way, he happens to be interesting. It drives me crazy how little Dominic Reyes we have for as good as Dominic Reyes is. I'm not talking about his skills. We got that. I'm talking about coming out and getting people interested. I, Of course I want to see that rematch. There's no fight for John Jones that I want to see more right now than Dominic Reyes. And I feel like I'm speaking for us all. Yes, that's the fight to make. There's no, re- no wonder Dominic is now revealing to us that that's the fight they're trying to make. There's no wonder. But it drives me bonkers that Dominic doesn't understand. He's a very interesting guy. I can be as mad as I want. I'm giving him a compliment. We need a little bit more. Okay, now let's break down what he said. Is John being hesitant? Yes, I would take that as sincere. Is John wrong to be hesitant? No, I, I don't think so. I realize that playground rules work. And John Jones always comes around. This isn't the first time he said no to something, but then he agrees to it, right? He's the champion of the world that would like to go fight. If he is not offered another fight, he's going to agree. Multiple reasons John is going to agree to this. I'm just sharing with you one. If this is if the only fight you're getting offered, you're going to have to go do the fight. But if John wanted to say, hold on just a second, let me give you another idea, okay? Blahovich is ever bit the contender that Dominic is, and Blahovich fought more recently. Blahovich won more decisively. He's coming off a win. You're asking me to fight Dominic, he's coming off a loss. Not a terrible argument. It's not the world's greatest argument when it's Dom's one and only loss, and people thought he won, and by the way, it was for a world championship. But it's not a bad argument. And if John said, I'm looking for new blood. I'm not looking to look back at a record that I had where I fought the same guy multiple times. I want to fight the new and fresh guys. It's not a bad strategy, particularly if he added the truth, which is I barely won that fight. That was a very hard fight. I barely won it. But guess what, guys? I did win it. I did win it. Don't come out and tell me I'm scared to do something that I've already done. And don't come out and think you're going to make a sucker's argument and telling me I can't beat a guy who I just beat. Those are strong uh, points by John. I have a feeling he's not making those points. I have a feeling he's probably acting more like, oh, you know, Dominic, come on. Yeah, a couple bowed rounds, I came back. You know, give me Blahovich. there's a real challenge. He's probably trying to play the wrong psychological games. He would be a lot better to come clean because there is nothing wrong with that answer. I barely got through it. That was one tough night out. But accept the result because I did get through it, and I'm going to move on. We'll see where all this goes. My larger point to Dominic Reyes, you are doing something wrong, my friend. I don't know if you just don't answer your phone. I don't know if you don't respond to text messages. I don't know what it is, but there's no way that people aren't reaching out to you for interviews. Perhaps you just don't like to do them. Maybe you got a little Nick Diaz inside you and you just don't enjoy doing that stuff. You're very good at it. And every time you do it, you get closer to what you want. You come out and use a word like hesitant. Hesitant is a great word to use about John Jones. That's not insulting. There's not childish right there. That's not you crying because you didn't get your way. Hesitant? It's a great word. It made for a great headline. And it made me more interested in a fight than I already wanted to see. Hey, Jail, Leighton here. Got a question about a podcast that you did a couple of years ago. Since there's nothing going on in MMA, I thought maybe we'd reminisce a little bit. 
Uh, it's about uh, your interview with Rain Wilson. I uh, really enjoyed that interview, and I know you were really excited to do it as a fan of Dwight. I think that might have been the first interview that you did for a celebrity, maybe outside of the world of mixed martial arts, and I'm just wondering how that had an effect on your podcast career and if you have any stories that came out of that interview. Thanks so much. Yeah, worst interview I've ever done. And to your point, I'm going to use this in my defense. I think it, I think that was the first interview that I had ever done. I'm not an interviewer. I didn't know this about myself until I tried to interview people, but I'm not an interviewer. I like to have a conversation. Hey, how's it going? Boom. Guy takes it from there. Boom. I fire back. I don't like to be the FBI that goes through the questions and what you, once you get your answers, you hang up and, and you move on. So Rain Wilson, Dwight Schrute from the office, I couldn't be a bigger fan. Like I've had a fantasy that if I ever met him in real life, I would walk over and I would just say two words, which is thank you. I have found so much entertainment for him. I have found him so funny. So he's managed by Mark Schulman. I work with Mark Schulman. So I go to Mark. Hey man, I got a podcast. It's really big. Rain, Dwight, right, was just starting a brand new show, an ABC show. I'm losing track of what it's called in my head, but he was out there doing media. I said, you got to line this up. I'd love to talk to this guy, put his show over. It's going to be fun. So I don't know him though, right? I don't even know him as Rain Wilson. I know him as his character, Dwight Schrute. So in other words, I don't know very much. So I go do research and I stumble on something called Wikipedia which is on something called the internet, which is apparently not accurate. So I took notes based on what was on his Wikipedia page, wrote them down, and asked him the questions. They went terrible, and he continually corrected me that that is not true, at which point I never fessed up to where I got the questions because I'm well aware that you can't just trust what's on the internet, let alone Wikipedia. I just thought for a guy of his level, he would have taken the time to go in there or someone on his team would have taken to go in there and correct it. Apparently I judged that wrong. So then out of nowhere, because all of the questions I have, he's going, well, I don't know where you got that. Well, that is inaccurate. Everything's going wrong to a guy who I wanted to impress. Uh, so then I, out of nowhere, realize it just jumps in my head, a clip that I had seen on the news earlier that day about fracking. I don't know what fracking is at the point that I asked the question. It has something to do with something and it goes into the ground. It, it really doesn't matter. I heard the word fracking and it just out of nowhere comes out of my mouth and I go, what do you think about fracking? To which he calls me on it and goes, well, that's a weird topic change, but, and he answers the question. And I remember actually had my sweat hands were actually sweating. The interview went so bad. I never went back to Shulman to go, Hey man, it was really great. Here's a clip. You know, could you have it? Could you have him tag me on Twitter? I let it go. I know Shulman would have heard it. I know Shulman would have thought I was a doofus. I knew to never ask Rain Wilson to be on the show again because he thinks I'm a doofus. And I thought it was behind me, but you brought it up and that's what happened. With currently no NBA, no NHL, and no MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, 
you would be wrong because our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on from their online casino to poker to blackjack. Let them bring Vegas to you. If you're missing the NFL, that's no problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can wager on. If you're into the entertainment betting, you can also still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Guys, they're open 24 hours a day, and it is all online. Visit the website or use your mobile device and join today to receive your 50% welcome bonus. All you have to do is use the promo code PODCAST1. Bet online, your online wagering solution. So right around the corner, April 26th, Submission Underground's coming back. Incredible card, but let me just talk about the main event real fast. We got Vinny taking on Craig. Now, this is the match that has to happen. And there's no promotion here. I'm just filling everybody in. This match has to take place. It would be a travesty. It would be like, remember when Matt Hughes wanted to fight Anderson Silva, but they were different ways, so they just didn't make it happen? Or when there was talk of Anderson Silva and John Jones, bah, they're different weights, and this was before the champ champ thing, and so it just didn't happen. You look back, go, oh my goodness, that would have been amazing. George St. Pierre, Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva's the common denominator here, isn't he? But boy, those would have been some spectacular fights. Anderson was a guy that went to 170. Anderson's a guy that went to 205. He was a guy that took over 185. You could see where some moving parts involving him would have been interesting. We didn't get him. It would be the same thing if a period of time went by and Vinny and Craig never went at it. And the world of grappling is very small, much, much like MMA. Most guys know one another, whether it's from a camp or a training session or, you know, way back in the day at some tournament or, you know, they ran into each other maybe further along the line at Abu Dhabi, which is a big tournament with a whole bunch of guys. These two have never touched. I don't believe they've ever even shaken hands. They have just stayed apart. And a big idea was to get them together because there's a three-way going on. You got Gordon Ryan, you got Craig, and you got Vinny. So Gordon beat Craig. Vinny takes out Gordon. But Craig and Vinny have never gone at it. And many people believe that Craig is the greatest no-gi grappler alive. He's got a very good claim to believe that. I can tell you as a guy who sees all the numbers, he is for sure the biggest star. He is for sure the biggest draw. Now, he brings the entire country of Australia with him. That doesn't hurt anything. But either way, I will openly be the one to tell you, he is the most famous grappler alive. But the best, that's what this is really about. And right now, with Vinny having a win over Gordon, Gordon's last loss, Craig likely not to compete with Gordon again because now they're teammates. Craig's way to make the claim to not only the most famous, but the best, is to get by Vinny. So we, we tried to do this, which would just give people a rough idea. And it was a tag team match. So Vinny brings in Kyle. Craig brings in Nikki. They do a tag team match. So whatever happens in that match, you're not really going to be able to go, okay, it's Craig, he's the best. Or, okay, it's Vinny, he's the best. But you're going to get a glimpse. You're going to see them at some point get entangled. We do the match. Nicky Rod starts. Vinny starts. They never tag out. Craig never 
enters the competition. He stays in the corner the whole time. For the overtime, Vinny tags out, Kyle comes in. So three of the four got in there, but the big experiment, the big hope that these two guys who have never touched, never, hello, I'm Vinny, they've never touched, are finally going to go out and compete on some level. So this doesn't happen. And Craig comes back. Craig's still lighting the world on fire. And Vinny's going, hey, I get it. And I know that was supposed to happen, but I was in there and he never tagged in. And Vinny's right. That is exactly what happened. It's really nobody's fault. The the athletes kind of felt bad about it and the crowd wasn't overly thrilled. I'm looking back. The rules were followed. This isn't really anybody's fault, but let's put you guys in there without tag team partners. And they both agreed. We, we We realized what our obligation was to the fans. We fell short. We agree. There was no negotiating by either one of them. And they both are in powerful spots to start being jerks about it. Both of them go, no, this is for the fans. You guys want to know who the best in the world is? Craig Jones sits back and goes, I do too. And Vinny sits back and goes, me too. Now this is going to be hard. It's going to be hard on us. It's going to take a lot of training, a lot of effort. There's a lot of pressure and a lot of eyeballs, but we will put it on the line. And that is what I am most looking forward to. Then if you get into the X's and O's of the match, Vinny has a size advantage. But Craig's pretty wiry. Vinny was focused on MMA. Craig's been focused on grappling. Craig's grappling is very unique, but it is leg lock heavy. Vinny is a leg lock master. Now, Craig would qualify as a leg lock master too, but Craig is so offensive with his leg attacks. Vinny is a master of defense just naturally. On top of being an expert, just naturally, Vinny's body moves and bends in way. I mean, his leg will bend in a way that would snap most people's. His facial expression never changes because it doesn't hurt him. It's a very, very interesting match. And it's going to happen on Sunday. You're listening to Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Listen up. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's and your renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, see how much you can save. That's GEICO.com. GEICO.com. RightGuard recently sent me some of their extreme antiperspirants and aluminum-free deodorant. And I got to tell you, I'm a fan of both. RightGuard formulas are designed to defend against sweat, odor, and stains with up to 72 hours of protection. The RightGuard research team has stepped up to the plate to help prevent yellow stains by finding a way to protect from stains without lowering the levels of antiperspirant protection. Gone are the days when you have to choose between a fresh feeling and a yellow pit stain throughout the entire antiperspirant line. Get it all, guys. The sweat and odor protection you expect while fighting yellow stains. And if you want to go aluminum-free, Right Guard's Extreme Aluminum-Free Deodorants also have odor defense technology to give you protection for up to three days, eliminating, immediately targeting odor and neutralizing it, resulting in long-lasting protection from odor, keeping you smelling fresh for days. Right Guard's extreme aluminum-free deodorants are not only free of aluminum, 
but they're also free of alcohol, talc, and parabens. Right Guard antiperspirants and aluminum-free deodorant don't feel greasy or sticky. They go on smooth and they last. Try Right Guard today. Now back to your welcome with Chael Sonnen. News came out that Amanda Nunes had pulled off of her May 9th fight with Felicia Spencer. Well, let's unpack this just a little bit because while that is true, I feel that it's a little bit misleading in this way. Let's start with Amanda. So Amanda says, I'm not going to do the fight. And she came out and cited uh, training issues at ATT in Florida. And I can tell you without even looking into that, that's true. The first anything to do with combat that I ever heard that made public news during this uh, shutdown was a boxing gym called the Hard Knocks Gym in Florida. And it was just a boxer that had a key to the gym and went in by himself to catch a workout. Hit the bag, shadow box, jumper, solo workout. Two police officers showed up and removed him and sent him home. Now, parlay that over. I talked to Colby Covington, ATT, which is about 20 miles from where this boxing gym was at. He says they have two police officers show up every single day to the American top team and clean the place out. Every day, without miss, they try to get around it. They try to go get a workout. Please show up. Please throw them out. Everybody's friendly. It's just a daily habit, seven days a week over there. So Amanda, who trains at the ATT, when she comes out and says, look, I'm having a hard time getting workouts, I just personally knew without her saying it, yeah, that's. I bet that is a struggle right now. So Errol Hawani looked into it a little bit and went to some teammates and, and training partners of Amanda's, and they said, well, you know, she's also got a, a nagging injury. That's a quote, nagging. So it, did she pull out because of the training? Did she pull out because of the injury? Do we really need to get to the bottom of it? I don't think so. The bottom line is the champ said she's not going to do the fight, but here's where I said it's a little bit misleading. They're looking to reschedule the fight according to her opponent, Felicia Spencer, for June. So one month later. So whatever the injury is, I, nagging sounds like the right word. If you could be ready to go in a month, it sounds like nagging is the right word. And if you're having a hard time getting workouts, but you're starting to figure out something in between, what most people are doing is just going to their garage. What most people do anyway, I mean, I'll tell you, the fight fighters aren't much different. Everybody's got something in their garage, whether it's a heavy bag, a weight stack, a treadmill. If you're really lucky, you got all three, something along these lines. So I'm only sharing with you that before anybody is singing the blues, they're not going to get to see Amanda versus Felicia Spencer. It appears, and this is per Felicia, the opponent, but I think that Felicia would have a pretty good idea of what's going on, that we are going to see the fight. We just aren't going to see it until next month. And quite frankly, in all fairness, if you go look at the cards in May, I mean, if there's any silver lining to a fight fan, these cards are loaded. I don't know that we deserve to see Amanda versus Felicia May 9th. Here's the big question that's going around. Okay. Henry Fajudo versus Dominic Cruz. But that's not the question. That's the statement. The question is ring rust. Dominic Cruz has been out for three years. Does ring rust matter? Now, if you ask anybody else in the world, and they don't have to be a competitive athlete who's tried to do this, you can ask a fan who sat back and observed this. You can ask a trainer who's tried to bring somebody out after three years. You can ask promoters who have booked fights, media members that have covered fights. If somebody sits on their ass for three years, yes, ring rust is a really real thing. Now, ring rust is largely a very kind excuse 
The truth is the guy's just not as good as he used to be. That's the truth. However, with a little practice and getting back in the groove and putting a little time back into the game, you can then refine those skills, which is why somebody's able to look back and go, no, that guy's not terrible now. That guy was just rusty. Okay, great. It's a very nice way of covering one of your favorite fighters' poor performance. But where that becomes a problem with Dominic Cruz is Dominic is the most vocal guy in history to refuse and reject the idea and premise and excuse of ring rust. He used himself as the guinea pig. He sat out for three and a half years, had three ACL surgeries, came back, fought the number nine guy in the world. I can't remember the gentleman's name. Japanese fighter who was on a run, and he was supposed to run through Dominic. This was supposed to be the guy's big coming out moment. Dominic beat him in 22 seconds, sat out for three and a half years, comes back, beats a number nine guy who many believe to be the future of the division, the future face of the division. I can't remember the guy's name. I don't mean there's a knock on the guy. That's just what Dominic did. So now he's facing three years as opposed to three and a half. So now that we have all the pieces and the logic, you form a decision. Is ring rust a real thing? Before you say it, yes, I'm thinking it too. At some point, father time will just bite you in the ass. Dominic might have done that in his earlier years. Now he is in his 30s. Can he do it again? Well, we don't know. In all fairness, it is a question, but you're now questioning a guy who's already done something worse, which was three and a half. Three and a half years out, come back, goes on a street, grabs the championship of the world. It's very interesting in that regard. Now, that's before we get into the X's and O's of the fight. I think it's also a fair question to just ask everybody, hey, do you like this fight more for Henry? Henry versus Dahmer, you're more excited to see that than you were Henry versus Aldo. Aldo is likely to not get that opportunity back. There was a lot of things that fell into the right places for Aldo. And I was a supporter of that fight, but I realized I was on third base wearing a catcher's mitt. Most people did not agree with me. They were talking about the Peter Youngs and the, and the Corey Sanhagens. I got no problem with any of that. Those are great talks to be having. But the X's and O's of this fight are a little bit more complex. You can talk about Henry in that Olympic championship all you want. He does not use his wrestling skills that much. He is not as, as refusal to use them as, say, a Yoel Romero... Henry would like to use them. Henry does like to be on top. He just has some other skills. He also keeps range. One thing, if you want to use any wrestling, you have to take all the range away. Well, with Henry striking, he likes to keep some distance, which works against himself if he wants to be wrestling heavy. Okay, fine. I just want to offer for you, before you say Henry's going to throw Dom down, get on top of him, and beat him up for five rounds, Henry doesn't do that to a lot of guys, and Dom has never had that happen to him. So I would just ask you, with what evidence are you coming to that conclusion? Even though you may turn out to be right, I would still ask you, if we're having a conversation beforehand, with what evidence do you believe that Henry's just going to take him down? Okay. Now, let's say, so you concede to me. You go, all right, it's a stand-up fight. Well, that's where things get up pretty interesting, too. I don't know that Henry has had much of a striking deficit with anybody. I think in the first fight he had, or the only fight he had, with Joe Benavides, it was largely stand-up. I think in the first contest where he had problems with Demetrius Johnson, it was largely stand-up. I understand those things. But Dominic Cruz, to argue the other side of the coin, has only lost one stand-up battle of his life. The only fight Dominic Cruz has ever lost that was because of what happened on the feet was to Cody Garbrandt. 
I don't know with what evidence you could come in and say that Henry is going to go pick Dominic apart, unless you just watch that fight and you want to hang your hat on that. I couldn't stop you from doing it. And guys, I'm not attempting to influence you on who you think is going to win this fight. I'm just trying to get you very excited because this fight is right around the corner. And this is an extremely competitive fight. And anybody that's counting Dominic Cruz out ahead of time, Dominic Cruz has never been counted out in his life. For some reason, he's put in this weird position where he's just supposed to go in and fall down. He hasn't fallen down for anybody in his life. I would come back to my question to you with what evidence... Historically speaking, history being our greatest trajectory for the future, with what evidence? You pick Henry if you want. You pick Dominic if you want. But I would love a follow-up argument. How? Why? And based on what? Joe Rogan took some heat. Joe Rogan was on his podcast, and he was talking about how many times he'd been tested for COVID-19. And it was a lot. You know, he was saying, you know, for the last X amount of time, I've been testing every two days or every three days. And I really saw the intelligence to what Joe was saying. One of the big problems where people are saying, go out and get tested. And you're hearing a lot of this. Go out and get tested. There's two questions that I would have. And there may be an answer to them. But my two questions would be, first off, why are we getting tested for something that you're openly telling us you don't have a cure for? And I've asked that question. I've gotten a pretty good answer that I've accepted, which is, no, you need to know if you have it so that you can isolate so you don't pass it to somebody else. Okay, that makes sense to me. But the other question that I have is when you say go and get tested, that would only mean you didn't have it at the time you were tested. Nobody has anything until they have it. Anything. It could be the cold. It could be cancer. You cannot show me an old test and pull it out of your pocket and go, oh, okay, well, you're clear. There's dates and there's limits. So if you were tested three days ago, what is to say that you don't have it right now? And if you hang your hat on the fact that I was tested and I don't have it, and you use that to go out and, and not observe social distancing, it would seem that you're missing something. So where Joe is saying, I'm going and getting tested repeatedly, is Joe fast-tracking the statement that I just stretched out into two minutes? of you do need multiple tests if you want to know that you don't have it. You cannot take one test and then argue this for the rest of your life. That No, I got nothing to worry about. Matter of fact, I was tested. And I will also share with you, there was some pushback that on Joe for being a successful guy with access to, to certain things and therefore using these tests on himself. I will just share with you right here in Oregon. We have two drive-through lines within five minutes of my house, and I saw them with my own eyes earlier today. Two different drive-through lines. Guess how many cars were in each line all together combined? Both lines. None. Nobody was used. So this make-believe myth that there aren't enough tests to go around for people who want to be tested, I can't speak for where you live. I will just tell you in Oregon, that is not a reality. And if Joe Rogan wants to be responsible because he's doing a podcast right across from somebody and wants to make sure that he can't contaminate them, I do think this would be a case of, good job, Joe. That was a smart thing to do, Joe. Not a moment to pick on Joe. Tyron Woodley and Izzy Adesanya started going at it. I mean, that one that one kind of came out of nowhere. And... Woodley wasn't kidding, but let's say that he was. If you're looking for headlines, which are very easy to get right now, if you are a fighter and you are not in the headlines, you have done something wrong. When there is no fights going on and nothing to talk about, it is extremely easy to capture a headline. Most fighters are looking at this and saying, there's no fights going on, there's nothing happening, therefore I shouldn't be talking about anything. So 
I don't think that Tyron was having fun, but let's just say if Tyron was just looking for a headline, Adesanya is the perfect target because he is the champion of the world. He's the best fighter competing today, and he will always respond. If I wanted to be in a headline right now with Izzy Adesanya, he will make it happen. Believe me, he will not let anything just slide. Don't forget that he just fought Yoel Romero, who was coming off a loss and was not the true number one contender because he told Dana White, I want to fight that guy. Don't hold me being champion against me. I'm in the fight business. There's guys here I want to fight. I came into the right line of work. Don't punish me because of my success. Okay, but you're now seeing who a guy is. So if you want to get in somebody's wheelhouse, go after Adesanya. He'll let you in. Here's what's going to piss you guys off. Tyron Woodley would be a very hard match for Adesanya. And Tyron laid out his case. He goes, look, Adesanya doesn't like power. Now, Tyron has seen something that I'm not. I have never seen Izzy shy away from power, including 20 minutes of sparring footage that I caught on the internet of Adesanya going toe-to-toe with Rumble Johnson. I've never seen what Tyron is speaking of. But if you do want to talk about somebody who's compact, that's Tyron Woodley, If you want to talk about somebody who greatly understands the footwork of his opponent, I'm talking about Tyron, but I think I have evidence if you just go back and watch not one, but both of his fights with Wonderboy Thompson. If you want to talk about somebody who has power, let's say Tyron's right on that argument. Tyron fits that bill. Not to mention he's got a great grassland aspect and he understands five rounds. Look, Tyron Woodley is a hard fight for Izzy Adesanya. One of the harder fights, as a matter of fact, I would go that far. That would be one of the harder fights. The hardest guy to fight is always the guy one weight class below you. He's just a little bit faster than what you're used to, and he can go just a little bit longer because he's carrying around a little bit less weight. So his endurance lasts a little bit less. Just the, the hardest guy to go with is always the guy one weight class below you. I'm not suggesting for you this fight is going to happen. I'm unpacking an interview that Tyron had talked about, so let's move on, because he said Adesanya's down the road. He said, matter of fact, I'm not leaving 170 pounds till I do four more fights. So there's four guys, four specific matches that I need to do before I can hang my hat and say, I've cleaned out the division. He did not list who those four guys were, but if you back up to some other Tyron interviews as recently as three weeks ago, he has made it very clear List number one, Colby Covington. I think that Tyron in many ways has lost interest in Leon Edwards. And in fairness, I'm not sure Tyron was ever interested in Leon. It was just what was being offered to him, and he wanted to go out there and get a match, and he was going to take on Leon. He said, I'll do it. I did my part. Show didn't happen. Okay, great. Let's move on. Colby, you're up. I think that that's the way it played out, at least in Tyron's mind. So let's say that he goes into Colby. Let's just say that he goes into Colby. Whoever comes out of that is going to qualify for a world title fight. Qualifying for a world title fight and getting the world title fight are two different things, but that's also a discussion for another day. I believe that Tyron in a perfect world would have his Colby match. He would have his Kamaru match, and I don't think that anybody would want to leave without trying to get a little shine off of George Masvidal, and he would likely try to anoint George to a number one contender, but now I'm guessing a little bit. I'm guessing who these four guys are. And I'm not eliminating Leon Edwards because Leon isn't a straight-up stud. I'm eliminating Leon because I don't think that's how Tyron views him. And if Tyron is now saying there's four guys, I'm curious who those four are. I know I'm right on Colby, and of course, we know he'd like to get the Usman back. 
Does he then think he needs to have match number three with Usman, do the trilogy fight, prove his point, get two, two to one, and move on? I don't know. I'm curious. I'm not here to tell you or to start something between Tyron and Adesanya. They've done that themselves. I am here to share with you, should that match come about 24, 26 months down the road, that's a close fight. Cowboy Cerrone taking on Anthony Pettis, part two. Now let's back up to the first one. Okay, at the time that that fight happened, that fight had to happen. According to the rankings, they both came through uh, WCW. This match just made a lot of sense. Plus, they were both stand-up guys. So we're looking for a pretty exciting fight. Now, if you go look at Cowboy Cerrone's record, or you go look at Anthony Pettis' record, if you're not familiar with these two athletes, and you're just reading wins and losses and how they got them, you're going to think these are two submission aces. Both of these guys fancy themselves as stand-up fighters, kickboxers. Pettis is what I call a trick boxer because he's so dynamic. He's going to fool you. He's going to run up the cage and kick you in the mouth. Cowboy Cerrone is a little bit more straightforward, a little bit more combinations, finish everything with a kick. All right, we, we get it. Great. But this is what they like. This is their true love. So they bill themselves as strikers. But again, if you go look at their records and you see how many guys they're finishing by submission, Donald Cerrone became a number one contender, went and fought for a world championship, coming off a submission win. Anthony Pettis grabbed a world championship over Benson Henderson by stretching his arm out, getting a tap, getting a submission win. If you go and look at the X's and O's of the very first fight, it was a little bit weird. It was a little bit weird in this way. Anthony Pettis came out and he landed a big body shot. And they called it a kick, but if you rewatch it, it was almost a knee. It was almost a knee to the side, a very pointed attack right into Donald's ribs. And Donald's trying to fight through it, but you could tell he's not even breathing the same. His body language has changed. His hands are coming down. He's trying to maintain and stay in this fight, but he wasn't able to collect himself. Once Pettis read this, he was able to come in with a switch kick. Boom, go right back to that exact same spot. Take Cowboy down. Double him over. Ground and pound referee has to call it off. It was one of these fights, though, where you want to give Pettis the pat on the back. You want to say, hey, great job, great night. But there's your evil side that also wants to tell Pettis, but I don't know if you could do it again. It was one of these performances where everything went so well. I mean, it was a snowball effect. Once that ball started rolling, there was just no way to stop it if you're Team Cowboy. I will tell you this leading into this fight. If you go back and look at the time frame and the landscape of their first match, those two had to fight. If you look at everything that's happened to both of them, Cowboy Cerrone setting records, Anthony Pettis going to winning world championships. If you look at where they are right now, those two have to fight again. All right, guys, that will do it, but we'll be back on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Thanks for listening to Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Download new episodes every week at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Hey, I got a new podcast coming. It's called Theory. Don't you know? This is Theo Rossi. Our world is changing. For many of us, it'll never feel the same. The important thing to remember is that we are all in this together. And that's some of what I want to talk about on my new show, Theory. We're going to discuss the things that no one ever does. The real talk, the sacrifice, and the struggle that everyone goes through. My life has kind of put me in a unique position to see things honestly. This is Theo Rossi, and my new show, Theory, launches on April 8th, officially on Spotify, Podcast One, and Apple Podcasts.